You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Inside Purple and Gold. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani alongside Tom Schreier. Tuesday morning, 9.06 a.m. Central Time, Vikings just announced officially that they have traded Darius Smith to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, we learned that Friday. It was a classic Friday news dump. I think it was like six o'clock at night. And I, um, Tom Pelissero, Ian Rappaport all start tweeting uh, that the trade is done. Um, and then obviously four days later, it, it, it's announced as officially done. Uh, the return, I, I know a lot of people are going to be upset about this. Or, or like that was the initial reaction that you see. Like the Vikings get back a fifth round pick in next year's draft, a fifth round pick in the 2025 draft in exchange for Jadarius Smith. Um, and then a sixth and seventh round pick in the 2025 draft. So basically they've upgraded their draft position one round in 2024, uh, one round in 2025 in exchange for getting Zedaria Smith off the books and out of town. It was always going to be like this, Tom, like it was Mm -hmm. never, they were never going to, I know he had 10 sacks last year. Um, I know he looked, you know, like he had rediscovered um, kind of the dominance that he, that we used to kind of see when he was with the Packers. He also fell off a cliff for the final eight weeks of the season, dealt with a lot Mm -hmm. of injuries and tweeted that he was gone like in March, like tweeted a goodbye. The Vikings had no leverage. The fact that they got any draft picks um, is, is honestly a win. Um, it, it's not like they were ever going to get this second, third round pick that I think some people, you know, immediately let their minds go to when they thought about trading to Darius Smith. Yeah. He also had sold his house. I think, you know, there was, there was yeah, he sold his house in February, put tweet, tweeted the goodbye in March. And then by yeah. May, he's dead, so. Yeah, it would have been very funny, like living at a hotel, having all really isolated his teammates. I don't, you know what I mean? That's why they don't have leverage. Um, I think the, uh, uh, I mean, I he was he did look like that force, as you said, in the first half of the season. There's also kind of the necessity, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna kind of enable Daniel Hunter, you have to have someone on the other side um, to attract attention. There was also this excitement that I think he took kind of a pay cut, right, to come to Minnesota because he mm-hmm. wanted to play Green Bay twice a year. And I think that's going to rile up any fan base, right? The guy who could get off after Rodgers last year, guy who's, you know, going into those games with a head of steam. Um, and, like, he was a fun personality. But it became clear, right, that, you know, this guy's wrong side of 30 had some knee issues. It just seemed like lingering in- injuries, right? I mean, everyone's kind of playing through something, yeah. but lingering injuries that limited him. It's a smart trade by the Browns. Again, like I guess the only reason why you'd think they you'd get anything out of this trade is that someone else is going to take that risk too. The fact that he has kind of a pedigree, right? A veteran pass rusher, always a need for for someone. Every team will look at it, right? And their medical staff will go, "Hey, we can, you know, we can limit his snaps so that he's fresh." Uh, the coaches can say, "Hey, you know, he has a lot of instincts, and that like um, he'll be an influence on the young players. Still knows how to get after the quarterback." I wouldn't be shocked if he's productive. I think it's kind of in that feeling range right, where it's like, he'll give you something right. And someone's going to get upset because, um, because the guy will be productive in the first year away. But like Zedaria Smith was no, never a long-term plan. Right. I mean, at, at some point they're going to need to find another Daniel Hunter here. Um, yeah. uh, and 
and yeah, I just, you know, it felt less tenable than Cook, right? Cook, it seemed like always wanted to stay. It was more like, is Quasi or is anyone kind of new GM going to come in and want that contract? Because we know, A, the, the Vikings are pressed against the cap. They have a lot of, like, Cousins money rolling into the future. And, like, um, most teams won't spend at the running back position. Zadarius Smith was tougher because that actually was a great contract, right? I mean, this is why yes. he was upset. But it, but that's a premium position that you spend on. It's not quite quarterback, but it's it's up there. Um, and so it's it's unfortunate in the sense that I get why people are upset, right? And I think the initial action is correct in a vacuum, but I think you put the context around it well. Like, guy had sold his house. He had already really? said goodbye. He's not happy with his contract. And honestly, I just don't know how much the Vikings can afford to have a player with injury history not maximize that contract because of where they're at right because of the davenport move and because of just like they're in cap hell and all this stuff so um i, I think i've been honestly i think you could have gotten a similar return in the draft i know it sounds funny but like it would have come off as better because in that like intermission period between when they took addison and you know when they took blackman or whoever the next pick was like there was such a gap in picks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're going, I think, from 23 to 101. And, like, I don't know how much a trade down satiates anyone. It would have felt better if, like, somewhere in the middle there, even though you're right, you're probably not getting a second and third round pick. Like, you're like, hey, we're we're getting picks here. We're going to select more players. Yeah. And, like, we got picks for the future. I actually think it comes off better if it's in the draft. I think the problem is it comes in this dead period on a Friday and people kind of look and go, okay. You know? And yeah. I get the response. You're totally right. Like the instant gratification of, oh, we just traded to Darius Smith. We get to pick right now, mm -hmm. as opposed to we got a fifth round pick in 24 and a fifth round pick in 25. Like, I, I can see why that feels underwhelming. But, but yes, like you're right that the context matters. Uh, the fact that he had sold his house, tweeted goodbye to, to this to school nation or whatever he called it. Yeah. Um, and, not to mention the Vikings had already signed Marcus Davenport at that point, his yeah. presumed replacement. So they were planning for life after Zadarius. Uh, they were never going to restructure his deal because they found value in that contract. There's no reason to restructure mm -hmm. that. Um, he's older. He's aging. He's has an injury history. Um, I, I understand both sides. I understand Zadarius saying I'm 30. I, I need more money. Like mm -hmm. I have a finite amount of time to make money. And I just had a productive season um in a vacuum like if you really go back and look he was amazing for nine weeks and horrible for eight weeks yeah um, he was one of the best players in the league as far from a pass rushing perspective in route to getting nine and a half sacks through the for, for weeks one through ten and then weeks 11 through 18 um half a sack total so mm -hmm. uh, i can see why the vikings are saying you know if you want to play on this contract yeah well of course you can um it's a good valued contract if you want more money um, we don't have to release you. Um, that was kind of, I think their, le their only leverage play like, Oh, he's under contract. We'll, you know, we'll keep him. Um, but I think it was always headed towards a trade. Um, and then obviously now it, now it has, has happened. I, I think the money savings and, and those numbers are like still kind of out in the ether. Like we, I, we don't know how much money they've saved. I, I know the Vikings, the, the reports out of Cleveland are, they took on a little bit of money, in the trade itself. So it's not like they just get to dump um, yeah. whatever cap hit he has. I think they're going to retain a little bit of, of cap hit on their end, um, but they will save money. They will be able to now fit a guy like Jordan Addison. Um, he still remains unsigned. I think largely because they're pinching pennies still. Hmm. Um, 
uh, they'll, they'll be able to sign Jordan Addison. I, I think they'll be able to sign Dwayne McBride, I think is the other draft pick who, who hasn't signed yet. Um, I, I also think it pretty much guarantees that at some point they're going to figure out something with Daniil. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you're not just letting Zadarius walk away, Daniil walk away. And then while I think Marcus Davenport has potential, like he has not productively proved himself um, much over the past two years. Um, and, and I think with Flores, um, you, you want to put him in a position to succeed right away. And in order to do that, I think you need to lock up Daniel Hunter. Um, they kind of had like opposite seasons of each other. When you look at Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith, yeah, yeah. Daniel Hunter started off super slow last year, closed really strongly. Zadarius Smith started off very strongly, closed very, very quietly. So yeah, yeah. I think something will get worked out with Daniel at some point um, here because largely because of, of what's happened with Zadarius. Um, Tom, we've talked about Zadarius and we've talked about Dalvin Cook almost in the same breath this offseason. Does the fact that they traded Zadarius Smith, in your opinion, change anything with Dalvin Cook? Or do you, do, you, do, you, do you see a trade or do you think his value based on what happened in the draft? Um, do you think we're just headed towards a post June first cut at some point? No, I mean, I think the cut's possible, but like, I think it, it does feel different. A, there's a little more cap space. B, you're mentioning Flores. Like you do Flores a disservice by having a veteran who's not on board, right? You just know that's disruptive. And as much as these guys are professionals, like, if you're a young player, you know, Zedarius Smith is not thrilled that he's in that situation. I think you want guys bought in. That's actually to your point with Daniel Hunter. Like if you're a 28 year old player, if you can get that guy on like a, a three, four year deal or something, keep him in his prime again, like that'll also get him to buy in more. I think it's the opposite with cook. Like obviously West Phillips has an interesting task. Like there should be some advantage of having cousins again, cousins motivated on a contract year. Like to my knowledge, cousins throughout the year was like, he didn't fully understand the offense. You got to imagine like he's closing in on that, especially with an off season to kind of study up and having been in it last year. I actually think it helps West Phillips to have Delvin cook again. Like, I think if you asked him selfishly, he'd be like, yeah, I don't, I don't care about the cat, man. I want this guy who's like a dynamic runner who again, you know, had a big run in the Buffalo game, which was an upset, you know, had a, uh, dumped off a screenplay that's a pretty simple play to call right and he um helps lead the the comeback against indianapolis so like um as much as i think cook we, we've said this before has lost kind of this ability that every time he touches the ball it's kind of magic he just gets you like three four five yards yeah. um he still has the big play ability he still can be used in the passing game i think he wants to be here and is, is really well liked by his teammates so like um i think if you're if you're west phillips and again like i think there's a lot of pressure on him it's it's probably mitigated a bit that O'Connell's an offensive coach that like there, you know, he's the guy advocating for cousins and, and, you know, came from the championship Rams, but like very specifically to that off, you know, offensive coordinator, like, I think there's some on Phillips too. I don't think he was thrilled that like in the middle of the season or, or throughout the season, I should say in the middle of games, the offense would just drop off. Right. And like they took forever to actually kind of score 30 points mm -hmm. um, in the games and stuff. So like, I actually think there's like low key, there's obviously pressure on Flores and the defense given what the Donatel unit did last year. But I think there's low key some pressure on the offense too. I mean, until the Donatel defense just broke in the middle of the season, I was like, you know, we can blame the defense all you want. This offense is supposed to be way more explosive. So the fact that they're going from this kind of McVeigh to more an Andy Reid scheme, 
Um, you know, that obviously there's emphasis now on Hawkinson and, and Jefferson and Addison because Addison should benefit from Justin Jefferson's presence. There's also like, listen, if they really sell out to stop these receivers going deep, it's nice having uh, a running back option. So I actually think it's viable to have Cook back. Again, you'd have to look at cap ramifications, not just for this year, but going forward. Um, having said that, again, that's that's one of those where if you could have put, I mean, imagine if they traded Cook and Zadarius Smith in the draft. I know that was unlikely. Um, but like, if you had done that, again, the, the tenor of the draft feels a lot different, even though mm-hmm. I think most people kind of came away being like, they did pretty well given the limited resources. Um, but I just don't know. The only team I saw or kind of the, the category of teams I saw trading for a Cook is one that's not really ready to win now, but like kind of wants to, you know, I'm thinking like Houston, you know what I mean? Like a team that like um, the, the coach comes in and doesn't want to like really have a terrible first season. Um, they've, they've made two aggressive moves in the draft. You know, again, I got to imagine they have some cap space there. Like they just want a little boost to maybe push them from like five to seven wins. Cause it feels a little different. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You know, I was like, <laughs> even like Chicago again, they don't really want to screw up what they have going on where they're opening up a ton of cap space, basically just have to ensure fields is good. And then they'll probably throttle down and try to, you know, make moves or whatever. But I was like, could a team like Chicago be like, Hey, we're motivated. This crazy is very willing to trade within the division. We got a player who's going to at least be very motivated for two games. Um, and it's really unfortunate coming off a season where again, cook made these impact plays, but also stayed relatively healthy. So I just, mm-hmm. it is, it, I understand categorically why they're like, why we put cook and Zadarius Smith in the, but like when you actually look at it, it's like, they really kind of don't belong together. One guy was injured and wanted out. The other guy just isn't the player he once was. You probably shouldn't pay a running back that much, but he's he's he was healthy last year and and he's bought in with the team. Yeah, I mean it will be interesting to to kind of follow the saga. I I, I agree with you that they can if they can find a way to make it work where where it makes sense moving forward. And you know, the, just I just look at the cap ramifications of this year into next, knowing that you need to sign Justin yeah. Jefferson, you need to. Yeah you know, assign TJ Hawkinson to the extension. Um, the, the thing is you're not saving like a ton of money. Like yeah. <clears throat> I guess you're saving like $9 million this year. If you cut them uh, post June 1st, I'm, I'm looking right now. So like if you cut them pre June 1st, you're saving 5.8. If you cut them post June 1st, you're saving $9 million um, as opposed to like roughly six. Right. Uh, you just look into like, deeper into the future though like 24 dalvin cook's on the books for 15 million dollars a cap number of 15 million yeah yeah 25 he's on the books for a cap number of 14.5 um no guaranteed money yet in those deals obviously um similar to zadarius dalvin cook had a had a a a date and time at the start of the new league league year where his two million dollars for 2023 became guaranteed so uh Maybe they do it this year. Maybe they just wait until next year to cut him, but they would save next year if, if they were to cut him $12.5 million against the cap. Um, and then the full $14.5 million against the cap in 25. So maybe it is something where they kick the can down the road a year. Um, say we don't need to, 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 to sign Justin Jefferson to the extension right now. We can do that next year. We can do that in season. Um, that's only a, that's going to happen. It's only a matter of time. It's just a matter of finding money, um, creating money like in and how you do that is by restructuring by cutting people um whether it be pre june 1st post june 1st um but yeah certainly something 
um, to, to follow the rest of the off season. The only reason I maybe would push back on the idea that, that cook will be here next year. I just find it hard to believe that Alexander Madison would have resigned here. If yeah. Some sort of not like handshake, but like, look, we know Dalvin is maybe not long for Minnesota here. I think Alexander Madison could have gone somewhere and been a starting running back. Um, I think the fact that he stayed might be a little bit of writing on the wall um, as to what Cook's future looks like. But then again, those guys worked really well together. So maybe the Vikings yeah. just don't want to screw up a good thing um, in a year that they, they very clearly want to be competitive and, and win the North again. I think it's worth noting, like there isn't, the team should spend to the cap every year. I mean, the only teams that don't are like a Chicago, like really in a rebuild kind of clearing the slate. Um, it's not like you get a bonus, right? There's no like, like rollover cap space or anything like that. They just, the thing with cook is, is what you were saying. These kind of his future earnings and what mm-hmm. the cap is going to look like Jefferson Hawkinson. They're going to have to figure out the quarterback. You know what I mean? Like there's just there. And then also like at some point you got to kind of fill out this defense. So like, I, I think it's more like disentangling that, right? Like I think Rob Bazinski knows the job is a lot of like, there's a lot of hurdles here, right? Like, like just when you move money back, it does screw with your future and stuff like that. You have to be cap compliant at various points in the off season. So like, um, it's not like he, you know, we know he's up for it or whatever. I think he maybe give him a break here and go like, Hey, yeah, we can't have that much slotted for the running back, but in any, in a, immediate year like they should spend to the cap the wolves are very willing to spend on the team the two things i think with madison is a like the vikings may be like we're not getting really a lot of value in like having madison and cook but like if this tandem works the offense needs to work and i don't think i think they figured like this can't be strictly a passing offense right cousins is an under center guy as opposed to shotgun he's not like mobile kind of like a lot of these modern quarterbacks mm-hmm. um and even with Justin Jefferson and Addison pans out and Osborne at the very least, I think Osborne's going to be a solid receiver three, like Andy F Hawkinson. Like I get, those are all weapons. I don't, I still don't think that's like what LA had the super bowl year. Also, we have to like see LA as such an anomaly. Like they, they went all in, right. It was like, it was like, they got to win the super bowl. Otherwise they're going to be terrible. And also as much as they were proud on like, yeah, we don't need the picks or whatever. Like, now they might be like, yeah, we probably should have had a few more picks, right? I mean, I I think we have to treat LA as an anomaly. There's learns there. There's a reason why they went and got O'Connell. But I think it's both his knowledge of football and like um, kind of the modern way he thinks. I also think it's in part like his culture gets overused. But the fact that players want to be there, right? Madison might make an exception because of how the Vikings are run. If this was a team that's worse run, maybe he'd go, yeah, I'm going to go to a better organization or something like that. Yeah. Um, but also it's like, it's his ability to connect with the players and kind of create, create like, you know, a good working environment for lack of a better word. So um, I always go like, look, the, the Rams were like, except, I mean, it was fun, but it was really exceptional. Um mm-hmm. And I think like they they have to think more realistically. There probably has to be some sort of running threat, especially with Cousins being a play action guy and and just kind of you think of the way like O'Connell thinks, right? He'll talk about like after games, well, we had this many possessions, right? And he's not just focused on literally the time on the clock in terms of uh, time of possession. That's kind of an easy marker you can use and and, mm-hmm. and often an indicator of who's going to win. But also like literally, we just like, there's times he's like we literally just didn't have enough plays right and a way to extend that a way to have ball control is the running game so i think as much as we think of him as a modern guy look i it would be insane if they just zip back to like the the zimmer kubiak offense i don't think that's going to be very 
useful, but we've seen elements of it there. They still have a fullback. They still value running back. And I think in the immediate term, it's fine. You can spend the cap. You can have some inefficiencies on the roster because listen, any inefficiency is like cousins contract, right? I mean, it's just like there's stuff they inherited and this stuff because they have this competitive rebuild. Um, They, uh, um, you know, there's some justification in that. It's really like, what's the plan after this? And so that's why I'm like, less likely to be a cut, even though that's a savings or whatever after June 1st, I think it's more likely to be a cut and never eventually because every year cook plays it's injury risk it's miles it's a year older you know what i mean so it's it's yeah, becoming yeah. less and less likely yeah. they can offload him in a trade however i just it seems funny in a in a again like i'm not calling this a rebuild because they're trying to compete and if you look at their schedule they could win the north they could be you know what i mean double digit wins next year it seems funny to just remove talent from the roster just because right just because like it's an inefficiency at that point quasi's thinking too much wall street and not really like a football gm yeah, that's a, like when you say, I think that's something people overlook, like spending to the cap. Like you look at 2023, like, and how the books look. I, I, I think there's a misconception. And I think sometimes I get kind of lost in this too when looking at, like, you can't pay a running back uh, yeah, you know, yeah. $10 million base, $10.4 million base salary with a $14 million cap hit. Like, the money's gone. It's, it's like poker, yeah. right? Like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. already gone. Like when you put money into the, the middle of the, of the table, like if you're chasing it, that's where you run into trouble. Like, yes, the Vikings could in some ways hedge and be like, this contract will, we'll get this off the books and we'll save some money here and there. But the roster as currently constructed, like the haze in the bar, like they don't, it's not like if yeah. you bring cook back this year, you can't resign Jefferson. Like that money starts in 24. So like in in, in some ways, I, I guess I, uh, we kind of line up there, like bringing him back, even if you will kind of be looked at around the league is like, wow, they're playing, they're paying a running back or yeah, that running back has a $14 million cap hit. Like it's not going to hinder their ability to build for this year. Uh, and so if you still give yourself flexibility next year, while also doing that, uh, you know, and keeping as much talent in the building this year, there, there really isn't a ton of drawback. So it isn't like Zadarius. I think Zadarius Smith and Dalvin Cook got grouped together because they were both these contracts that theoretically could be traded. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. if you're not getting any value back for Dalvin Cook, cutting him maybe isn't the right deal. So, I mean, we we can never know this, but if Zadarius Smith hadn't sold his house and hadn't said goodbye again, like I, we should also emphasize like, this is, these are knowns, right? We can figure out if a house is listed, certainly social media is publicly available, but like there's also probably stuff happening behind the scenes, right? It may be in the last eight, you know, last eight games or whatever. Some of the guys are like, Zadarius Smith's a pain dude. Like this dude's cranky with his knee and he hasn't sacked anyone in a while. I'm like, you know what I mean? Like there's probably stuff behind the scenes we don't fully see, but like assuming like if Zadarius Smith was like, man, I want another crack at this. Like I want to kick the Packers when they're down new quarterback. Like we're not expecting much for whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or he just loved the teammates want to stay here. I think that equation is different and that's what we have to factor in. There's never been an indication in my mind from Delvin cook that he wanted out. And that actually makes it so much worse because it's a dollar and cents decision because it seems like, again, his teammates like him because he's capable of explosive plays. Um, 
so I don't see it as a negative if they walk in. We mentioned the cap hit thing, but like also there does seem to be some value in continuity. And I think this is something we need to learn about Quasi too. We knew Spielman to a fault was loyal to his guys, right? And it worked mm-hmm. in some capacities. In others, you were like, what are we doing here? And the, the cook contract would be one, right? But like, um, but I think I'm curious what Quasi from the Wall Street background who thinks about efficiencies. You know what I mean? And he even like, he will volunteer Wall Street analogies, right? It's not just us kind of like mm-hmm. putting that out there, right? He he admits this is the way he thinks, right? So like, um, I'm just curious what his loyalty to his players. I'm not saying if they cut Cook, he's, you know, it means your favorite player's gone and Justin Jefferson's out the door or something like that. But like, I do, I, I think this is an unknown and this is something we should monitor because as much as you don't want to bring in players who, who kind of lost it or whatever, and as much as like Bill Belichick is praised for being a year ahead of getting, you know, getting rid of his guys, I think there is some value in saying like, look, if you have a core that's winning, it seems ridiculous to just start jenga blocking the teams until it collapses so, yeah, or yeah. the sorry the players until it collapses so yeah i mean i don't know this is this is like kind of an early tell both on how crazy values running back but also kind of how much he values you know continuity and stuff like that for sure that all being said if the vikings get a call from the houston texans the chicago bears will use those two teams because you talked about them yeah yeah it'd be like the buffalo bills want to get the cook brothers together oh, i love uh, it yeah if they get a call tomorrow says hey we'll give you a fourth round pick for dalvin cook do it but yeah, like what yeah. we're saying is tr- cutting him for no reason just because yeah. he has a high cap it might not be the way to go yeah tom before we kind of wrap up this episode i do want to touch on the rookies um rookie minicamp is cool because you yeah. see a lot of like i get it the five draft six draft picks um it's their first t- like time to practice at TCO performance center. There is excitement about that. Um, what I like about rookie minicamp is all the tryout guys that get to go. Um, sure. A lot of guys that we'll never see again. We'll never like, we'll never even think about again, but like just thinking like kind of like sappy, like this is cool. Like this kid, it never going to make the team gets to kind of practice at the NFL facility for two days. And the Vikings signed two, two, two local kids off of a tryout, yeah. um, you know, a, a local fullback and a local offensive lineman um, that will now get to the opportunity, you know, to follow in Adam Thielen's footsteps, um, go from a tryout to an invite at OTAs to a practice squad to an all pro. Um I say that tongue in cheek, these two kids probably won't reach that level, but I, I think sure. it's, it's cool to see a, a bunch of guys kind of descend upon the, the team facility um, for like a small opportunity um, to kind of realize their dreams. That being said, being out there last week, um, it's pretty clear who are the, who, who are the draft picks and who are the tryouts. And it's pretty clear that Jordan Addison, he just, he just looked different. Like yeah. watching him compete against some of these other receivers that were brought in, whether it's a UDFA or one of these tryout kids that we're talking about, that that's a cool story and like a cool moment. Like they all paled in comparison to Jordan Addison, the way he ran routes. Um, yeah, yeah. Something to note, like when we're watching rookie minicamp last weekend, we get one day. So I was out there last Friday. Um, 
I think the players were there Saturday and Sunday as well. Sunday, I don't know if it was actually a field day. I think it might have just been two Friday, Saturday on the field, Sunday at the facility for the rookies, and they break. And now this week, everyone's together. Uh, when we're watching last Friday, it's basics. It's individual yep. drills, very, very small, like seven-on-seven seven stuff. Not even There's no team stuff. Um, I think it's just an opportunity to look at like who stands out in a vacuum in these individual drills and, and watching Jordan Addison last weekend, it, it's pretty clear he does, um, which is good. You want your first round pick who you took number 23 overall to look better than the UDFAs and, and the tryouts. Um, it'll be interesting. We, we'll get to go back to TCO performance center next week um, for OTAs, I think Tuesday and Wednesday, um, if I'm not mistaken, and get to see Jordan Addison run routes alongside KJ Osborne, uh, you know, alongside other, I, Justin Jefferson's not going to be there. I don't think. And um, yeah, he doesn't need to be um, as long as he's there for that mandatory mini camp. I, I don't care if he's there for the, the, or the OTAs. Um, but watching Jordan Addison last week on Friday, um, I will be interested to see if he still stands out, if he looks kind of still looks the part mm-hmm. uh, as Kevin O'Connell said, um, moving forward throughout OTAs with some of the veterans um, kind of on board. Um, besides Jordan Addison, Jaron Hall was there. Ball is he, ball jumps out of his hand. Um, still, obviously, a lot yeah. to learn. Um, I, I know he's someone that we we talked about right after the draft. Um, interesting project player, but no one that I think we really yeah. have to take seriously in like the grand scheme of like this year. Um, but yeah. I, I liked that pick and I liked the fact that they're kind of, kind of maybe get to kind of try and build something with him. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one way to think about it, right. You find inefficiencies. One of the, I get it when you see a hyper athletic receiver. Right. And we know it works, right. Randy Moss was like, how does this guy not succeed in the NFL, mm-hmm. right? As long as he doesn't get in his own way. And they, and obviously that was a great pick. And that was kind of similar with Adrian Peterson, whatever the hangup was, if it was injuries, I'm trying to remember what it was. You were like, dude, this guy's like he's lightning fast, tough to tackle and a running over. Like, you know, you're like, yeah, I get why he succeeded in the NFL. Right, but I think right. with Addison, it's just the, the tool of running routes. And like, this is what separated Justin Jefferson, right? And why like he went from kind of like, obviously teams were uncertain about him that like, Teams way up, way higher than the Vikings would have taken him. Now, um, you know Patrick Peterson would say his body lies to you, right? He like mm-hmm. looks like he's going right, goes left, whatever. And I, I think Addison, like all these different, you know, whether we saw this off the record tape thing, where again they're highlighting like the the best traits or whatever. But even like you can watch Matt Freeze, one of our guys, broke down a little tape on him. You can find some stuff on the internet, whether it's on Twitter articles. Like it's just evident, and you said you saw it with your own eyes that he's. I mean, obviously, he's a good, Addison's a good athlete, yeah. but like, I think that route running translates. And it's honestly like going back to these guys from Minnesota or these UDFAs, like, that's why Thielen succeeded. Like, Thielen just paid attention to small details and knew how to kind of break off of press man or, or, you know, right, get the guy, you know, to, to park when he's not supposed to or whatever. And, and I think um, that's why I have faith, faith in Addison. I think, again, like the Hall thing, it's like start with the basics. Like with Addison, they're like, he catches the ball. Great. That is part of his job. Troy Williamson had some trouble with that. People still talk about him to this day. Like with the with Hall, it's like he has this like capability to push the ball down the field. It's, it's all these other things, whether it's processing speed or moving the pocket or all these finer details. Will he develop those? And that's why, again, he's more 
long-term project. And I think with the UDFA is, I think it's, they should take that seriously. Like there, there is, I was looking on the Packers side and people were like, why did they take so many seventh round picks? And Spielman did this as well, almost to a fault, but it's like, they're looking for efficiencies there. You actually pay sometimes the seventh rounders less than the UDFAs because yes. the guys, yeah, really bad. And and, yeah. and again, like you go like, what the hell is like $200,000 to like an NFL franchise or the Wolves or whatever. It's less that it's more like you are always just trying to find some sort of edge. This is why they like skimp on the special teams. You know what I mean? All these like different kind of techniques they have to what you only have two quarterbacks on the roster or whatever. Um, I do think that they should take this seriously, right? Because it's like the odds that you find a feeling pretty low, but the fact that any of those guys who contribute in any capacity are efficiencies on the roster. Right. And like, no matter how much the team monitors this, and even if Quasi had been here earlier, right? Like he probably doesn't sign the Cook contract or whatever. But like at some point, you have to like give in to your quarterback. Like there's a reason why the next guy who signs always gets the next, you know, the biggest deal, right? It, it, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, or whatever. Like great players. <laughs> I don't think they're Mahomes. I don't think they're Burrow. I don't think they're you know whatever. Like um, it's just you're going to have forced yeah. inefficiencies at some point, right? Even like. I mean, I guess like Justin Jefferson and Hawkinson, like you think they maximize those contracts, but like outside of like really unique star players, like almost everyone else, second contract's pretty tough. So like, I just think they have to take this really seriously, who the UDFAs are, who they bring in. Um, can you get any contribution? And I do like kind of part of these draft strategies of like, does this guy do the basics and then what their strength is, right? I think they call it like the blue skills or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do they translate to the NFL? Obviously you have to have a certain athletic threshold in order to play in the NFL. But like, again, I just, the, the confidence in Addison to me um, is that he does the route running really well. And like, you would just think given how much attention uh, Jefferson is going to get. And the fact that obviously Osborne and Hawkinson deserve some too, like, this dude has to know he's coming to a situation where he can thrive. And yes. so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot to observe with this stuff and it does. It's so funny that football does feel re- like year round and just because it is like the fact that ESPN's leading with clips from, from these various camps and Bryce young looks in command of the offense. And uh, I mean, it's so ridiculous given the context of it, but you're like, listen, there are kind of learns now you just, you, you see why, like, beyond watching the tape beyond your memories of the college football season that feels like eons ago like you just show up and watch it and you go yeah that's what that guy's just better than the other players and it totally makes sense what you're saying yeah and, and with jordan addison i think it's important like sometimes like the measurables can lie or like the combine can lie like mm-hmm. sometimes the combine is like this guy's a freak kind of like yeah. what you're saying about randy moss like yeah. guy's a freak uh he can run a four three he can jump 50 inches on the vertical jump his broad jump is crazy he's explosive blah 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 but sometimes the combine lies like this guy tests really well darius hayward bay he ran like a four yeah yeah. like if you watched his tape and caught like most of these nfl teams go by tape over the measurables at the combine and i think when you watch jordan addison um and what he was able to do at usc um watching him translate that onto a practice field at the nfl level Shouldn't it be surprising, but I think you look at his stature, you maybe think, oh, you know, you can see why maybe he fell to the Vikings at 23. Then you watch him play, um, and he's got a lot to prove. Like I said, he, this was last Friday against a bunch of, it was against, against air, 
with a bunch of guys that he's very clearly better than, it will be interesting to see him kind of take next steps forward. Yeah. How good does he actually look um, when we get into OTAs, into mandatory minicamp, into training camp, obviously, and then obviously into games. Um, the Vikings need him to be good. Um, right now, we have no reason to believe that that tape, which is what, you know, is his calling card, the way he looks when he plays the game. There's no yeah. reason to believe that's not going to translate. Uh, quickly touching on some of like those efficiencies on the roster and in, in taking the UDFA period seriously, taking the, you know, even these tryout guys you bring in seriously, like t- two UDFAs, the Vikings signed. The, the, it is always interesting. Cause like there's just hype that surrounds certain players right after the draft. Yeah. Yeah. And it really is just hype until they're on the field until they're on the practice field until they're, they're doing battle drills with the offensive linemen or, or vice versa. But two of the UDFAs, the Vikings signed Andre Carter out of army. He's yeah. an edge rusher. I listed as an outside linebacker, going to be a more of a specialized edge rusher. And Ivan Pace jr. Out of Cincinnati. He's one of those linebackers kind of hybrids who can rush off the edge, but also a tackling machine in, in, in the open field. Those two guys, like the way you hear Kevin O'Connell talk about both of those players, it's like, well, why didn't you just draft them? If, if yeah, you're yeah. special about them. Um, but those are good examples of like, I do believe that they could be efficiencies on the roster. Um, there is also the outside chance that both guys are just garnering a lot of hype because a couple of these prognosticating sites said so. And when they get out onto the actual football field, we realize why they were undrafted. But right now, until further notice, I think we should look at a guy like Andre Carter, a guy like Ivan Pace Jr. as potential roster efficiencies down the road. These are two guys that the Vikings really prioritized in the UDFA period. Um, And these are two guys with skill sets and production at the college level um, that were at least intriguing enough for them to be looked at as, as, as prospects. Um, but they both had things that lacked obviously that, that led them to be undrafted. Um, you look at Andre Carter, he had 15 sacks in 2021 with army. And I think he had three and a half last year. So that's obviously why, yeah, why yeah. he dropped, you know, from a projected high pick in a lot of these way too early mock drafts um, to going completely undrafted. Ivan Pace jr. Um, I think, PFF had him rated as like their best linebacker in college football last year. Hmm. Um, but he's 5'11, 230. So he's yeah. undersized. Um, so you look at these efficiencies and it's like, okay, these guys clearly have drawbacks that that have scared other teams away. Can we maximize what they're good at? Um, two guys to keep an eye on here as as kind of the, the months progress. Um yeah, I, I think you mentioned it being an all-around, like a, a year-round thing. Uh and I've said this over the past three weeks, I think maybe just myself projecting. Cause like we've had to talk about just some insane stuff over the off season to kind of fill space, but we're kind of back into like the, you know, the, the, the beast and then the machine that is the NFL. We're going to start to be able to talk about what's happening on the field um, rather than what's happening kind of in the abstract. And and I, I'm excited that we've kind of turned that corner um, and that football is kind of back. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny you talking about O'Connell. And to credit, he's always going to hype those guys. But, like, a um, little, little different than Zimmer. <laughs> but, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but like, 
I get, here's the thing. I think that's right. Like, Hey, if you love these guys, why wouldn't you use a pick? I think, you know, his counter would be like, we didn't have many of those. Um, also an interesting, I didn't think about this until someone mentioned it was like a podcast. I was listening or something like there are GMs and this is across sports who are upset at the mock draft machine. Right. Because we see this, like you go Kuiper one to Kuiper four or whatever. McShay one to McShay four. Mm-hmm. Like you go, how the hell are these like quarterbacks? Right. We talked about this around draft time, but how the hell do these like defensive ends and quarterbacks rise? I mean, it's just premium positions. And all of a sudden they start realizing like Colts are in on Richardson and therefore like we got to move them up. Um, a lot of these guys don't like it. Right. And my guess is people in like Seattle's front office, for example, cause they always have like these wacky picks where you're yeah. like, wasn't yeah. that like a third rounder or something? <laughs> and like, um, but you're like in their mind, they're like, we want to guarantee we get this guy in house. And to be fair, we've learned that that is actually a little flawed thinking. That's a scout rather than kind of how a GM should think where they should, again, GM should be thinking efficiency, trade back, whatever. But like, um, this is something where like, we know why guys go undrafted or in the fifth or seventh mm-hmm. round or whatever, but also it's both like what they're lacking or these concerns. This guy get injured. You know what I mean? He's coming off an injury there. We don't know what he's going to be like, you know, as a rookie, like mm-hmm. um, why did he have a good junior season? Not a good senior season. This dude's like 26, you know what I mean? And like, there, there's all sorts yeah. of different things, but um, part of it is like, these guys do have to fight against something that comes from less information. Like if you hear, these Daniel Jeremiah or McShay or whatever, they're pretty honest in that, like, hey, I'm pretty wired in. I mean, obviously they're careful with their sources and stuff, but I'm pretty wired in into this organization, right? I think it was Jeremiah who called the, the Houston trade up. Like, I don't think that like manufactured out of thin air. I think he probably had someone tip him off, but like, um, and then some of them are are silent. Right? I mean, the Bengals have like six guys working in their front office or something like that. So it might be hard to get a hold of one of them. But like, yeah. um, you know, I think the uh um they have to like fight the mock draft machine too a little bit. And I think Again, like this is just there's so much more than just like Quasi had success in Wall Street, was successful with the Browns and the Niners kind of in their front office in a very specified role. Like it's a little like the thing where like every coach has some sort of weird disadvantage because Zimmer knew defense as much or more than anyone else and mm-hmm. just seemed to neglect special teams and, and offense. Like kind of was just frustrated when there was interceptions and a bad kickoff or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, Connell, I think it's embraced in some capacity. The defense, but it did seem like he just wanted Donatello to run it. You're a veteran. I think he was kind of like a mentor to him. He he was like, you take care of this. When that didn't happen, it seemed like he brought more of a colleague in, right, with Flores. And it seems like there's just like little indications when he was talking about the cover zero and stuff that like, I think he's asking Flores questions and trying to, I mean, I found it interesting that in the tape session, I think it's fine to say this. He knew the intricacies of some of the secondary players. I wish we had seen more guys on the line, but I was like, is that because he knew tape as a quarterback and he had to know what all these guys did? Or is he just asking Flores like, what the hell does like the corner need to do? Like, why does this guy who gets drafted here in the third round outperform the first round? And it goes, yeah, it's just like, he's better at managing leverage at the stem of the route or something, whatever, or he has better technique on this, you know, in this situation or whatever. Um, it's kind of similar for GMs. Like Quasi probably comes in knowing efficiencies with the stock market, understanding analytics really well, because that was his job. And he excelled so much, uh, you know, in San Francisco, in Cleveland, that he got this job. But like, I think like, He's going to have to learn, like, I'm sure he looks at some mock drafts and goes, dude, what is this guy doing in the fourth round? Or like, you know, whatever, or even the other picks that the teams make. And you know, it's probably frustrating in some capacities. Like, well, he overdrafted this guy who I wanted in the fifth round, but like, I can't spend a third rounder on this or whatever. I mean, I think you make that up later in the draft, right? And go like, yeah, this UDFA, like we didn't spend a pick on him. They didn't spend a pick on him, mm-hmm. but this guy probably should have gone in the fifth or sixth round. Um, And so I, 
I, the more you kind of like look into it, like the guys who succeed are really go out of their comfort zone frequently, right? You want O'Connell to know what a defensive back is. I know this is basic, but like what a defensive back is supposed to do like intimately, not just like basically, right? Like cover mm-hmm. the other player. He should know like, why would da- Davenport succeed here when like the saints moved up for him? And that was a, and all of a sudden in his whatever mid twenties, they've moved on from him. Um, yeah. He, and so, yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the tests here, we know, again, the Wills invest in it. The, the the organization's all about culture. They have all these, I think the Chargers in their in their schedule reveal made fun of the Vikings for like promoting these like A plus marks all the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, I think the curiosity of you said, like, whether it's, uh, you know, how Quasi will value continuity, you know, versus kind of efficiency or whatever the cap. Another one is like, what are the indications that these guys trust the staff they have right how often is their turnover beyond just guys getting hired out or whatever um and how much do they what is their curiosity in the in the areas that they don't know because um part of i think zimmer one of his major major faults was that like he didn't seem super interested in the mm-hmm. offense i don't think he i know granted he might have just not liked cousins because he was expensive and he's kind of an interesting guy but like he should have been watching film with him you know what i mean and like yeah. um and stuff like this you know like the fact that you know daniel carlson whose brother also is now he's gonna be a packer kicker like this guy who's really good and was a really good fifth round draft pick and would have solved a big need for the vikings is gone and i know it was a crucial game and the most hilarious thing ever is that it ended in a tie but like I get he was terrible in that game. They shouldn't have pushed him out, right? And the fact that even like Bailey and some of these veteran kickers, like he wore those guys out or whatever. Um, I'm again not saying that the organization has to be dedicated to Greg Joseph forever, but you notice the difference that Joseph was in a low point, right? And it did seem whether he trusted Daniels to fix him or whether O'Connell just continued to say the right thing about him publicly and privately, he did. I mean, Joseph was fine by the end of the year. So like, mm-hmm. um, I just think you know this is one of the things we should study is just like how much. We know Quasi knows Wall Street. How much does he value chemistry and stuff like this? Or, or we know O'Connell. When you see him doing the film and he's like, dude, we could just move this guy over there. And he would have been wide open. And you're like, that's hilarious that you knew that and the college coach didn't. <laughs> but, but like, well, you know, like how much does he know the the what the defensive back does or whatever? So I don't know. Still a lot to learn for a team. I suppose it makes sense when we're kind of like, what is this team? Is it really a 13-win yeah. team or whatever? But like um, still a lot to learn about these two guys who just came in and had a lot of success. Yeah, and the success in year one um, is going to put them at, you know, they're going to be held to a higher standard in year two. Uh, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. It, it It's what happens when you win, when you go 11 and 0 in one score games. If they yeah. went 7 and 11 or 7 and 4 in, in those one score games, and instead of 13 and, and 4, you're Nine, 9 and 8, right? yeah, yeah. like then you can take a step forward this year. It's going to be pretty hard for this team to take a, a tangible step forward um, from yep. 13 wins. Um, I guess what they have going for them is they bowed out in the first round of the playoffs. So you can still win the North and, and, and show progression um, if you can notch a playoff victory. Um, but yeah, <laughs> ton to learn about these guys still a ton to learn about the rest of this team, uh, you know, as a whole, I'm excited to get into that in, in, in the weeks to come. Um, that's all we got for this episode. Uh, thanks for stopping by. As always, if, if, if you like what you hear, shoot us a follow. Um, like, subscribe on on you know wherever you, you get your podcasts. Um, we're going to start to ramp up here, probably back to the, the two, three times a week um, as, as we really start to roll here. Um, but we'll check in next week. We got OTAs. Um, me and Tom will be out there. 
um, chatting with everyone else, missing our guy, Chris Thomason. Um, yeah. It's not the same without him. Um, no. One day we'll get him on this podcast and and, and kind of just do a... Before the Denver game. It makes sense. Yeah. We'll do an ode to Chris Thomason at, at some point. Um, but yeah, we'll hop on next week. Um, until then, thanks for stopping by. For Tom Schreier, I'm Dane Mizutani. This has been Inside Purple and Gold. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company.